grab your Bibles and go with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, as I mentioned at the welcome, this is an exciting time for our church. And if you did not know, this is our last Sunday in the student ministry building. And for those of you that are watching next door, yeah, that's right. Next Sunday, we will move back in to our newly renovated worship center. We're opening up all of our children's ministry space. We have new children's check-ins and we have a lot of updated life group spaces. This is an exciting time for our church indeed. And as a part of that, I wanna say thank you to those of you who have been a part of our Proclaim initiative and that have given God has honored your sacrifice. And uh, I cannot wait uh, for you to see and experience uh, uh, the renovated space uh, for our church. I also want to update you, effective next Sunday, we will be live streaming here at the North Campus. So if you, yeah, yeah, we're excited about that. So if you have friends or family or if you're traveling, just know you'll be able to connect with us. You can stream our services here uh, live, effective next Sunday. And so you can start sharing that uh, with friends and family and just make that note yourself. You can go to our website and uh, right there on our media page at PrestonWood.org, you can uh, click between campuses and, and select your campus of choice and then you can stream services or on our Prestonwood uh, North Campus Facebook page. For those of you that are on Facebook, uh, you can get on our Facebook page for the North Campus here of our church and uh, we'll uh, always have services on Facebook Live as well. So this is indeed an exciting time uh, for us as a church. And today is the eighth and last Sunday of a summer sermon series uh, studying the parables of Jesus. We've covered a lot of the great parables, like the parable of uh, the lost sheep, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the friend at midnight, the parable of the rich fool, uh, uh, the parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of the great banquet. And this morning is uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's really Jesus teaching this big idea by comparison of the differences between self-righteousness and self-awareness. And, and here's what I would tell you is in context here in Luke chapter 18, one of the things that you're struck by when you study this particular parable is that Jesus was keenly aware of his audience. Jesus knew his audience personally. He knew who was there, who was in attendance, who was listening. And then Jesus, because he's God, knew exactly what they needed uh, to hear. And I, and I would tell you today, just lean in because it's always good for us to be reminded, guess what? He still knows his audience. He still knows his audience. He knows who's here, who's paying attention, who's needing to hear this particular uh, uh, word. And, and so as it relates to the teaching today, Jesus is, is giving this particular parable right within the context of a, of a subject of prayer, the teaching on uh, prayer. And there are people who think they've got this uh, religious thing kind of figured out. And then there are some who have a keen self-awareness that they've still got a lot of room uh, uh, to grow. And so Jesus is going to use this uh, a process of comparison uh, to bring about a revelation or, or to expose the differences between the problem and danger of self-righteousness and the necessity and the grace found in self-awareness instead. And so, and so I would say kind of the big idea, the big theme in Luke chapter 18, I've said this to you uh, before slightly differently than I want to say it to you now, but really this is the big idea found here in, in Luke chapter 18, and, and that is this. If I feel better about me, because I feel worse about you, the problem is me. So if you, if you are a note taker, maybe at the top of your page, this is kind of the theme that we're going to see here today. Now we'll talk in detail about how Jesus exposes that reality, but the big idea is if I feel better about me, 
because I feel worse about you. The problem is me. The problem is me. And Jesus is going to then compare these two men, these two prayers, and and he's going to expose for us the differences between the danger of self-righteousness and the necessity of self-awareness. Luke chapter 18, we're going to read together, starting in verse 9 all the way through verse 14. Luke chapter 18, start together in verse number 9. If you're there, say, I got it. Here we go. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, if you mark or highlight in your Bibles, underline that phrase, uh, trusted in themselves. Verse 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I think it's pretty obvious this parable is very straightforward. Jesus is pretty clear in the warning by way of comparative illustration on the danger of self-righteousness. And and so he's comparing two different people. A Pharisee would have been within the first century, someone within the a, a Jewish faith that was primarily responsible for the stewarding, the teaching of God's people. All things about religious rite and ritual and practice, Pharisees kind of governed that for the Jewish uh, church. And, and then a tax collector would have been someone who was despised and, and, uh, and, and disrespected because of their chosen profession. A, a tax collector would have worked under Roman authority, but issuing taxes, collecting taxes for the Jewish people. And the way in which they made their income was by the spread between what was required by Rome and then what they asked people to give under the authority of Roman law. And so many tax collectors persecuted and profited off their people because they had a great spread. And again, they had the Roman government to back it up by which they uh, taxed Jewish uh, people. So tax collectors were despised because of that. It was common that they were considered sinful. They were not uh, uh, favored or found within a favor of the Jewish uh, family of of faith. And so a tax collector is also at the temple uh, praying as a part of his worship experience. And and Jesus then compares uh, the two men and to how they respond uh, to to God. And, and, And it's funny because I think it needs it requires you and I to, to stop down and pay some attention to our own tendencies uh, toward self-righteousness and, and maybe the absence at times, if we're being completely honest, of our own self-awareness. So I'll give you an example. So if I said, uh, hey, who do you think is my doppelganger? Who is the celebrity you think I look most alike? You would obviously say Brad Pitt. <laughs> that actually wasn't a joke and it's hurtful that you would giggle. No, some of you would be like, uh, I was thinking Sloth from Goonies. But nevertheless, okay, if you don't know Goonies, just forget it, okay? 
But I, I lack the self-awareness to know, no, 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 that's, that's not accurate. But when it comes to spiritual things, listen, we can all slip into that tendency towards self-righteousness, which is the evidence that there's an absence of self-awareness. You with me? And so I think we need to see what it is that Jesus highlights for us, because if he knew his audience then, he knows his audience now. So if you're a note taker, here's the first thing I want to point out to you, and that's this. There's great danger in self-righteousness. It's pretty obvious. I think this statement doesn't even necessarily have to be made, but I need to make it because the, it's also a familiar theme that's found uh, uh, within the New Testament in places other than just Luke chapter 18. So if it's familiar and it's obvious, then it should also be understood as important. And I'll just remind you, a couple of Sundays ago, we preached on the subject of roadside grace. Do you remember that, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Remember how that parable came and that Jesus is having a conversation, he gets interrupted by uh, someone, and, and that person asks Jesus, okay, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does your Bible say? And the guy says, well, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, exactly, you've answered correctly, now do this, and you're going to live. And the guy goes, but the Bible tells us that he asked a follow-up question, he, because he was seeking to justify himself. Do you remember that in the text? And so seeking to justify himself, he then asked Jesus, okay, then who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus launches into the parable of the of the Good Samaritan. See, there can be a temptation or a tendency in all of us to want to believe that what makes us good with God is the things that we do or the things that we don't do. And Jesus says there's great danger in your uh, tendency or temptation towards self-righteousness. And I'll even show you the evidences within this Pharisee as the example that you and I can learn from today. The first is this, the Pharisee was trusting in himself. He was trusting in himself. You, you might not have picked this up five times in verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee speaks in prayer to God and he uses personal pronoun I to highlight his own good deeds as a part of his prayer to God. Look with me again. Verse 11, it says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Five times this guy wants in his prayer to point out to God, God, I want to thank you for me. And I want to thank me for me. Now that sounds silly, but listen, we should always realize that self-exalting prayers are silly prayers. Like how weird is it to talk to the God of the universe and say, God, I want to thank you for me. And I want to thank me for me while I'm talking to you. We giggle at that, but that's exactly what's going on. And listen, that is the evidence of trusting in self, that you're believing what has you in right relationship with God has something to do with you instead of what God has done for you. You with me? Here's the second evidence of the danger of self-righteousness. So he's, tr he's trusting in himself, and then he is treating others with contempt. So it evidences itself in the treatment of others. Again, the Bible says when Jesus shared the story, he mentions in verse 9, the parable is directed at those who treated others with contempt. In verse 11, it quotes the example via this Pharisee's prayer about just exactly how that showed up. It says in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted himself that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this way, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, if silly prayers are self-exalting prayers, we should also say silly prayers are comparative prayers. God, I want to thank you for me, and I want to thank 
me for me, and I want to thank you, then I'm not like Patrick. Woo, you know him. Like a comparative prayer. But listen, again, we got to be honest. We all have a tendency and temptation toward wanting to compare our sin with the sin of someone else. But do you recognize that it took all of the finished work of God in Jesus Christ? It took every ounce of his shed blood to atone for all of our sin, yours and mine. And so it is futile. In fact, I, I would tell you, it is damaging to an understanding of God's grace to want to feel better about yourself by feeling worse about someone else and comparing that when you talk to God. God, I realize I'm a mess. I got some problems. I got some things. But man, do you know what Damon's done? Whew, scary. Right? And, and so that's what this Pharisee is doing. And, and I would just say that the evidence of his treating others poorly is, is not only that Jesus labeled him as someone who treated people with contempt, but if his self-righteousness showed up in his praying, but again, remember this Pharisee is, is standing by himself. What that means is, is he's found a place of prominence. He's found a place where he's not like with everybody else, where his prayer, his audible prayers are going to be mixed up and mumbled with other people praying audibly. He's by himself where what he says out loud can be absolutely heard by everybody else around. And when he does that, he first brags on self and then he outs this other dude. Right? So if his uh, treatment of others, if his uh, belief in his own self-righteousness is so significant that it's showing up in his prayers, what do you think it looked like in the rest of his life as he lived? How do you think it showed up to the waiter or the waitress when he went to the restaurant that day? And they were late with getting his water to the table. And he ordered double rice and no beans. You think he pitched a fit? Right? That's what I'm saying. That's how self-righteousness shows up. It'll spill out. It'll spill out and it spills over and it shows up in the treatment of other people. So he trusted in himself. He treated others with contempt. And then the last one is the temple mockery that he made. The temple mockery that he made. Self-righteousness will show up and it'll spill over into the sacred things of God. Like this brother made a mockery of prayer. Now, and I want, again, I'm going to draw your attention to this. Like this Pharisee stands by himself so people will pay attention. He's speaking out loud so they will hear. He's talking about all the great things that he has done. He's talking about all the bad things that make this tax collector far from God. And he's doing so under the banner of something that God has given as sacred. He's doing this in prayer. And self-righteousness will lend itself toward making a mockery of the things that are significant and sacred before God. And I'll show you. This is when you hear a message or you read something uh, uh, in your Bible and you think, my gosh, that was a good sermon. That is exactly what Grayson needs to hear. This is a sermon on sin, and, and that's for him. Like, that brother needs to hear that. Or you hear a sermon on self-righteousness, and you think that's exactly what Charles needs to hear. This is for Charles. Woo! Right? So that we do that because we can, we can drift toward self-righteousness if we're not paying attention to things. You with me? It shows up in the trusting of self and the treatment of others and the temple mockery, making things uh, that God intends to be sacred seen as something so much less than that. But I would also say um, uh, there is great danger in self-righteousness, but there is great grace in self-awareness. There is great grace in self-awareness. Contrast the Pharisee as a person and as his prayer with the tax collector and a person and 
his prayer. The tax collector knows he's a sinner and needs to be saved. Like, like the difference between the self-awareness of these two guys could not be more overstated. Look with me at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Um, we might not understand it the same way today, but beating of the breast is, is a, a symbolic way in in, ancient, uh, in the ancient Near East at the times of Jesus where someone would have uh, been able to e expressively demonstrate remorse or brokenness or sorrow or grief. And this brother is not remorseful. He's not broken. He's not sorrowful. He's not expressing grief over the sin of the Pharisee. He's beating his breast over the sin of himself. This guy has a keen self-awareness. And so there are as much as there were evidences of the self-righteousness of the Pharisee, there are likewise evidences of the self-awareness of the tax collector. I'll show them to you. The first is he knows who he is. He's a sinner. He knows who he is. He knows exactly who he is, just like you and me. But I would tell you this, that God's grace will not save you if you don't believe you have need for it. You with me? But this guy has a moment where he comes to a complete recognition. God, I am a sinner. I am lost and I need saving. I am sick with sin and I'm, I'm trusting in you and your mercy to, to save me. And if you are in Christ Jesus, every single one of you have likewise had that moment. But for some of you, you've been playing church for a long, long time. You've been around peripherally the things of God for a long, long time. And your moment is now. Everybody has to have a moment where you come to this recognition. Where you understand that you are a sinner. And you're done with trying to compare your good works to the good works of someone else or all your bad deeds to the bad deeds of someone else. And you're just aware, keenly self-aware, that you are sick with sin. Like this man did. Mine was 1998. Everybody's place is different. Mine was in the middle of a cow pasture in Salida, Colorado. And some of you need to have that moment today. Where you come to that kind of self-awareness, that place of understanding. I know who I am. Like, I'm messed up. I'm messed up. I'm messed up based on what I have done. I'm messed up based on what I am doing. I just believe because I know me well enough. I'm messed up based on what I believe I'm going to do. I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. This guy has this humility, this complete understanding of who he is. It's the evidence of his self-awareness. Here's the second evidence. You ready? He knows who God is. So he knows who he is. He's a sinner. But he knows who God is, and that is holy. He knows God is altogether different. And the evidences are obvious in the text. Whereas the Pharisee stood by himself and spoke out loud where everybody could hear. Right? This guy stood far away. That's what the Bible says. It says he stood far away. And it says he beat his breast. There was an evidence of brokenness. And he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He understands, God, I know who I am. But I know you're altogether different from me. I know who you are. You are holy. Just like we sang a moment ago. God, you are different. You are holy. 
which is what makes the gospel so spectacular, fam. You with me? That a God who is perfect and holy and has in his ability to speak our creation into existence would leave his throne in heaven and come and dwell among you and I who are altogether unholy. And not only would he dwell among us, but he would take the punishment for our unholiness and substitute himself as the sacrifice for our sin. And he's altogether different from you and from me. And and when you have a genuine encounter with Jesus, when you come to the right understanding of who you are and you have the right understanding of who God is, it will evidence itself in a clear picture of his holiness. Like that's why his prayer was not a mockery of whereas the Pharisees was. In, In the Old Testament, the Bible says there's a famous prophet, a man named Isaiah, he had a really hard job to do because God's people were in rebellion. They, they, were, they, they had forgotten their loyalty, their allegiance, their complete devotion to God. And so they were in rebellion, doing things they shouldn't do, worshiping other gods they shouldn't worship, living lives God had not called them to live. And so God raised up this man, Isaiah, to be his mouthpiece to speak hard truth, necessary but hard truth to God's people. And God's people didn't want to hear it. Do you know why? Because they were suffering the consequences of their rebellion. It's actually an evidence of God's love that he disciplines and allows us to experience consequences for our sin. And so these people didn't want to hear it because they were frustrated with the consequences of their rebellion against God. So God raises up his man to go speak necessary truth to the people that he loves. And Isaiah, at the beginning of his life and this calling into a difficult ministry, God is readying him for this great work. And he gives Isaiah a glimpse of his holiness. Is it possible that when God wants us to go do something, live our lives in a significant and supernatural way, dedicate our marriages and our families in a significant and supernatural way, commit our jobs and our lives and our neighborhoods in a significant and supernatural way, the key to that is a recognition of his holiness. It's found, it's rooted in his holiness and the understanding, God, be merciful to me because I know who I am. But I'm trusting in you because I know who you are. And Isaiah caught a glimpse of that. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I'll put this on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim are... um, Uh, angels, angelic beings, they exist for one reason. God created them for one purpose, and that is to worship. And above them stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to the other. And what did the seraphim say? They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, this guy's having a moment of self-awareness. This guy is having a moment when he knows who he is because he knows who God is. And this is how he responds. And I said, woe is me. That's New Testament. For God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Unclean lips, it's an external evidence of sin. 
based on the things we say with our mouths. It's an external evidencing of our own impurity and unrighteousness before a holy God who's altogether different from us. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of this, and this tax collector gets a glimpse of this, and he knows who he is, and he knows who God is, and the evidence of his self-awareness shows up because he knows what God does. He knows what God does. What does God do? He gives mercy. He gives mercy. Do you notice the tax collector's prayer? First of all, he doesn't out the Pharisee. He doesn't make a big deal of himself, and he doesn't even ask God to change his job. Like he's not asking God to change the outside. What's he asking God to do? Change me from within. Like, I know me, I'm messed up, I'm jacked up. I need you, Jesus, from the inside out, and it'll show up in my life and in my job and in my marriage and in my family and in my parenting. It's going to change everything, but i got to make sure I understand. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This guy knows who he is. He knows who God is, and he knows what God does. Look again at verse 13. At the end of that verse, he beats his breast, and he says, God, be merciful to me. It's grace in action. But again, I would tell you, if you don't think you need it, you won't get it. But when you know it's only God who gives it, and that you recognize that you have to have it, God's grace abounds. I'm going to say that again because it's important we understand. If you don't think you need it, you won't receive it. But when you recognize it's only God who gives it, and you have to have it, God be merciful to me, a sinner, then his grace abounds over what you have done, over what you are doing, and over what you will do. His grace abounds. Some of you are here today and you're thinking, yeah, but he doesn't know what I've done. Yes, he does. He knows everything you've done. He knows all the stuff that you're willing to acknowledge and the things you're not. He knows all of it. And see, when, when we're trusting in ourselves, or when we're treating others with contempt and we have a temptation to make a mockery of the things that God has called sacred, and we might even hold the thought, man, Josiah needs to hear this word. Here's what I want you to know. This message is not for you. This message is for me. Like I never write a sermon thinking about one of you in my mind. It just doesn't work like that. God protects me in that. It just doesn't work like that. But today, I'm telling you I wrote this sermon with me because God helped me. I don't want to rely and trust in myself. I don't want to treat others with contempt, and I don't want it to show up in me making a mockery of the things that God has called as sacred. I know I can lean towards self-righteousness if I'm not paying attention. But I want this self-awareness where I just come to an understanding. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because I know who I am, I know who you are, and I believe in what you do, and that is you pour out mercy. You know, family, you recognize that you don't save you. You don't save you. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He has done a finished work for you that we could never provide for ourselves. And self-righteous people have a hard time with that. They always have. They struggle. In fact, the Bible tells us in the very same book of Luke that Jesus was teaching on the nature of the kingdom and that it's different than what all the religious people had thought that God was going to do. 
And in Luke chapter 5, verses 30 through 32, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. Now, what did they get mad at Jesus' disciples for? Because they were hanging out with sinners. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you hang out with him? Do you not know he has a past? Why do you hang out with her? Do you not know what she said? Why are you going to dinner with them? Do you not know what they used to do? Why are you choosing to continue to embrace your kid? Do you not know what they've said, what they've done, how they've spent, where they've gone? But Jesus speaks and he stepped in. The question is to the disciples. The answer comes from God. And he says, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And every single one of us are sick with sin. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, he is the good physician. And he brings the healing of the gospel that we so desperately need. And so, I think it begs the question, what do we need to be aware of? Like, like if we're being honest, and we can all have temptations, spiritually speaking, to think we got more Brad Pitt than Sloth. What do we need to be aware of? Is it possible that we're trusting in self? Like, let's just be honest. Today, many of us are probably not praying like the Pharisee. God, I want to thank you for me. I want to thank me for me. Like, I don't know that we're doing that. But is it possible that we are trusting in our own righteousness, what we believe are our good deeds? God, I go to, I go to church pretty much several Sundays a month. I, I, I try to give on occasion. I, I, got, I go to Bible study every now and then. We, we've prayed as a family a couple of times this month. Like, is it possible that we're trusting, like, or is it possible that our self-righteousness is showing up in the treatment of others? Now, again, I, I, bet we're not in, I bet we're not in prayer circle, in life group, going, God, I thank you that I'm not like her. I bet we're not doing that. But is it possible that in our mind we're thinking that? Is it possible that it's spilling out into how we engage with others around us? And is it possible that we need to grow in an awareness of temple mockery? That we're treating the things that God has declared as sacred, like prayer, as something so much less than that? Do we need to take inventory today? Because this leads me to the last thought. And this is what Jesus said in verse 14. You ready? The way up is the way down. This is clear in the text. The way up is the way down. Look with me again at verse 14. Jesus speaks. He says, I tell you, this man. Now, who is this man? That's the tax collector. That's the self-aware guy who just acknowledged before Jesus, I'm a sinner, so be merciful. And this tax collector, this self-aware man, went down to his house justified. If you mark your Bible, circle the word justified for me. He went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now, who's the other? That's the Pharisee. That's the self-righteous guy who thought he had the whole thing figured out. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So so two things I'll say. Uh, The first is, uh, the word justified uh, is a biblical word that means declared right. And the understanding is, is that you are declared right before God or righteous. 
And, and so Jesus said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And, and this self-aware brother who just declared himself to be a sinner and then knew God was the Savior, he's the one who's justified. He's the one who is declared righteous. There is nothing you and I can do to earn or that we have deserved a right standing, a right declaration before God. But the life of a believer is going to be one that is marked by this kind of awareness. God, I'm a sinner, and I'm choosing to believe that Jesus is Savior. And that, that understanding, that faith, that belief in God's work for us is what has us in right relationship with him. Here's the second thing. you got to understand this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. You understand God's kingdom works in contradiction to how we think the world orders and intends for things to be. Our world, our culture celebrates uh, whoever can, can have the most, whoever can finish first, right? But the upside down nature of the kingdom of God says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It says I'm going to take the small and I'm going to make it significant. I'm going to take the, the slight and I'm going to do the supernatural. Because whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself in God's kingdom will be exalted. And, and so I, I just want to ask you this question as we close. Self-righteous or self-aware? Which one are you? Again, I, I'm telling you, this sermon is for me. This is for me because I know me. And if I'm not paying attention, then I can trust in myself, treat others with contempt, and make a mockery of the things that God has declared as sacred that are reserved for just him. I. But I want, I want to be self-aware. I, I recognize, you know, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is 1 John chapter 1. It often, this verse, uh, verse 9, often gets quoted to unbelievers. So people who have not yet been born again, not yet declared a faith in God through Jesus. And in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, If you are faithful and just uh, um, to confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of them and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so that often gets shared with unbelievers. But did you know that John actually wrote that letter to the church? So, so, so it doesn't matter if you confess your faith in God and, and ask Jesus to forgive you eight years ago or 88 years ago. The life of a believer is one that is an ongoing effort of repentance. We are never going to outgrow the need for the grace of God. You with me? And so if you confess your sins, it doesn't matter if it's today, but it's going to need to be every day. He's faithful and just to forgive you of them and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Why? Because the well have no need for a physician. So if you don't think you need God's grace, you will not receive it. Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners. That's me. That's me. I know that about me. I know who I was, I know who I am, and I'm praying that God will continue to grow me because I fear who I'm going to be. God, have mercy on me. I don't even want to look up. Have mercy on me. A sinner. I know who I am. 
But I know who you are and I know what you do. And I want my life to be marked by that. Not just today, but every day until Jesus Christ comes. And and so I want to ask you, where are you? Is it possible that you made that decision a long time ago, but maybe you've grown complacent, you've drifted back towards self-righteousness? Maybe you've been guilty of comparing your sin to the sin of someone else. But if I feel good about me because I feel bad about you, then what? The problem is with me. Is it possible that any of us have drifted because we're like, yeah, yeah, I I mess up. I said that. I I did that. I went there. I shouldn't have. But man, have you seen Amanda? She's a mess. Like, is it possible that we drift there? Or maybe today is the day. Like you're not in a cattle pasture in Salida, Colorado, but you're in a gymnasium in this one or the one next door. And you are having that moment of self-awareness right now. And if that's you, I want to invite you to ask Jesus to save. It is the reason that he came. It's the reason. And and for those of us who have been, look at, we never outgrow that. We never outgrow that reality. Otherwise, we'll drift back towards self-righteousness and it'll show up and it'll spill out onto others or in the things that God has made sacred for us to enjoy. So I'm going to pray and uh, and I want to give you an invitation in this room and And those of you watching me on the screen in the room next door, I want to give you an invitation. The invitation is if you have never had that moment for yourself, then today is your day. Today is that moment where you can give your life to Jesus. I, you would just say, God, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. Ask him to save you. And then come forward and tell one of our staff members that you have given your life to Jesus, that you have chosen today to ask him for the forgiveness of your sin. You are choosing to trust in God. Others of you, you've been kicking the tires at Prestonwood for quite a while, and for whatever reason, you just have been hesitant to join our church. Here's what I want to tell you about our church. We're an imperfect people. We're an imperfect church, but we are worshiping, we are chasing after a perfect and a holy God, and we're doing our best. And so we believe that we're better together. So would you consider partnering with us? We are a family of faith. Would you consider coming forward today and joining our church, grabbing the hand of one of our volunteers or staff and say, I want to join the church today. Maybe God has done this work of salvation in your life, but you've never been baptized. Well, starting next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing again in the worship center every single week. And so we would love to schedule and more importantly, celebrate your baptism, which is an outward expression of the inward change. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe when it comes to that idea about temple mockery, you've been guilty of thinking, man, so-and-so needs to hear this word. But today, God said, no, this word is for you. Because I'm telling you, that's what he said to me. So I'm speaking to you out of an overflow of what God is speaking to me. But if he speaks to your heart, I want to ask you to be obedient to respond. I'm going to pray when I say amen. We will stand in this room and next door. We'll worship God in song and you'll have an opportunity to move as the spirit of God leads. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and for your grace. I pray God that you would continue to move in our hearts as you have moved in mine. Father, forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't want to trust in myself. I don't want to treat others with contempt. And I certainly don't want to make a mockery of what you have declared as sacred and significant for me to enjoy. Father, forgive me. Forgive me. I know who I am, but I know who you are and I know what you've done. 
I love you and trust you. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.